Hello again. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of The Shared Ship. I'm Gino Church, and you're listening to The Shared Ship Podcast. This is Captain's Log 5, The Flag, Part 2, The Tale of Two Flags. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Ted Kay about flags. We're going to pick up our conversation about the flag of the city of Chicago, and I asked Ted about some of the controversies today surrounding the flags of Mississippi and Massachusetts. It's time for us to get sailing. So you asked about the Chicago flag. Chicago's city flag is one of the most successful designs and most widespread flags in its city. It was adopted, I think, in 1915 and has been part of the fabric of the city ever since. Chicago's flag is a wonderfully simple design. It's a white field with two narrow light blue stripes near the top and the bottom running horizontally. And between the two stripes are four red six-pointed stars with rays that are more pointy than a star of David. The two blue stripes represent the lake and the river, and the red stars represent four major events in Chicago's history. The flag is vertically symmetrical and horizontally symmetrical, so it cannot be flown upside down and it can't be backwards. That's a very powerful design advantage for a flag. Judging Chicago's flag on the five basic principles of flag design, simplicity, it's very simple. A child could draw Chicago's flag from memory. Meaningful symbolism, absolutely. The two stripes representing the natural landscape and the four stars representing important events in Chicago's past. Two to three basic colors, check, there are three colors. No lettering or seals, check and be distinctive or be related, there is no other city flag that looks quite like Chicago's flag. So it's not going to be confused with it. So judging it from the standpoint of principles of flag design, Chicago's checks all the boxes. Looking at it from its use, two things are going on in Chicago. The first is Chicago has, by municipal ordinance, a line in its city code that requires the flag to be flown from every municipal building. So there's a legal requirement that the flag be widespread in the city, which puts it out there in the city. The second thing that's going on is because it is 
a super design, people want to fly it. It's a great design. It's a beautiful flag. So people already familiar with it because of its legal requirement to be flown on municipal buildings, people will fly it themselves. By extension, therefore, it shows up on all of the tourist mementos for Chicago. You can buy caps and t-shirts and visors and mugs and keychains with the Chicago flag on it. Also, because it's such a great design, it's a remixable design, as Roman Mars says. You can use those stripes and the white background and the red stars in many ways, not just as a rectangle representing the flag. A way that I can tell that a flag has become entrenched in civic iconography is when it starts showing up as a tattoo. And people get Chicago flag tattoos. They also get tattoos of the Washington DC flag, for example. And you hardly ever see tattoos of those poor city flag designs that people are trying to change. But we do see tattoos when flag designs do change to a simple design. Chicago's flag is so embraced by the city that when a Chicago police officer dies in the line of duty, it's often the Chicago flag that covers the casket rather than the state or the national flag. And Chicagoans love the flag. It's all over the city. In 2004, NAVA did a survey of 150 American city flags asking people, the public and our members, to rate the design qualities of those 150 flags. And in almost a dead tie, Chicago and Washington, D.C. came out as number one and number two. That's fantastic. Well, you, you said that about the tattoo. It's so funny. I've, right here on my arm, I have tattooed on Dumb Spiral Sparrow, which is South Carolina's motto, While I Breathe, I Hope. It's not, it's not on our flag. It doesn't have a reason to be on there, but I have our motto tattooed on my, on my arm. So it was just, there you go. Which is kind of funny. That's a good point. I had no idea that flag dates back to 1915. So that kind of dovetails into something you and I just briefly talked about is what's going on today with flags, especially state flags and Mississippi. And um, be a, a little bit of a conversation about Mississippi and where they go from here and, and just and, and what's been the conversation from your perspective about um, the Mississippi flag that was flying and then, then taking it down and where they're going to try to go. State flags in the United States range from great designs to poor designs. 24 out of 50 state flags have a seal on a blue background. As my colleague Jim Farragan explains, that's because we won the Civil War. And that's his jocular way of saying that most seal on blue background state flags derived from regimental flags in the Civil War or in the Spanish-American War. Wow. That after the Civil War and up until 1926, which was the 150th anniversary of the United States, in that era, the states all uh, finished adopting flags. In many states, 
the flag that represented the state was the state's militia flag or the regiment regimental flag from the state. And in many cases, the state simply took the regimental flag and turned it into the state flag. In fact, in North Dakota, if you go to the historical museum that's on, on the grounds of the state capitol in Bismarck, you'll see the very first North Dakota flag. And it looks like today's North Dakota flag. It's got the state seal with a ribbon on it, and uh, it's on a, a blue background. But if you look very carefully at that flag, you'll see the state seal that says state of North Dakota or something like that on a ribbon. If you look through the ribbon, it says something like first regiment North Dakota volunteers. It actually is a regimental flag wow. that was turned into a state flag. They're great state flag designs and poor state flag designs. But a poor design is usually not enough to get a state to change its design. There's not enough political capital. Um, there's not enough reason to spend political capital to correct uh, or improve a state flag design. However, I think there are two things that can spur state flag redesign. The first is something positive. The Olympics are coming to our state. We're going to be on the international stage. Or we're coming up on a significant anniversary. It's time to update our symbolism. That was the case in Utah, recently in Oregon. This is in the last 20 years. Neither of those succeeded in persuading the officialdom that there should be a change in the state flag. But in both cases, the major newspaper in the largest city ran a flag design contest and came up with ideas for new state flags for Utah and for Oregon. The other reason to change a state flag is because of something negative, something that's offensive on the flag. And there are two states that are undergoing that challenge right now. One is Massachusetts, which has a white field with a shield from its coat of arms in the middle and the crest from the coat of arms above it. And the shield contains an image of an Indian warrior. And the crest from the coat of arms is an arm with a sword on it. And that symbolism, which comes straight from the coat of arms, uh, is misinterpreted first by the lay viewer of that flag as the sword being somehow subjugating the Indian. And second, there's a concern that there's an Indian on the flag and that's some kind of appropriation and inappropriate. Now, the heraldists will say, well, you're misunderstanding the interpretation of the symbolism of the flag. And those of us who are engaged in flag design and observing the public's relationship to it says, well, we will say, if you have to explain it, then it's not working. What people are receiving from that symbol is what's important. Yeah. And if they are receiving some negative message about a sword subjugating an Indian, then that's what that flag is saying to people. And if the tribal 
groups are challenging the idea of an Indian on a state flag, that's another reason to reconsider this. So Massachusetts is facing the debate of a symbolism that's offensive. And people in Massachusetts are asking the question, should we change the state flag? Mississippi, up until recently, was the last state to contain overt Confederate symbolism on it in the form of the Confederate battle flag, the square red flag with a blue X on it with 13 white stars on that X. That was the battle flag of the Confederacy in its rectangular version has been called the Confederate battle flag and is widely spread in American popular culture since the 1940s. That Confederate battle flag was under pressure since the 1980s uh, when it was, its use was banned at Old Miss in its uh, football games. But the Confederate flag, and then by extension the Mississippi flag, have been under much more pressure since the Charleston shootings of 2015 and then the May death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. That was the tipping point for Mississippi's state flag. There had been efforts in recent years, since 2015, to change the Mississippi flag. Lawrence Dennis, an artist in Mississippi, designed an alternative for the Mississippi state flag. Lawrence Dennis's design checked off all the boxes of good flag design, simplicity, meaningful symbolism, few colors, no lettering or seals, and distinctiveness. It was a central white panel bordered by vertical red stripes. And in that central panel, a large central blue star surrounded by 19 smaller stars representing Mississippi as the 20th state to join the Union. The central blue star on white being an inversion of the so-called Bonnie Blue flag, which had served to represent the South before secession. And the red, white, and blue colors coming from the current Mississippi flag and the national flag. That flag became known as the Stennis flag, it's now been renamed the Hospitality flag, was so popular that it outsold the Mississippi state flag by a large margin in Jackson, Mississippi in recent years, and it was turned into a specialty license plate in Mississippi. It's especially evocative because Lauren Stennis is the granddaughter of the late Senator John Stennis, the ardent segregationist who had represented Mississippi in the Senate for 41 years. Lauren Stennis turned her segregationist grandfather's ideas on their head and designed a new flag for Mississippi. And Lauren showed Mississippians there could be an alternative to the Mississippi state flag. Between 
the end of May and the end of June, everything happened for the Mississippi State flag. Prominent football players for Mississippi universities said they would not play under that flag. The presidents of major universities across Mississippi had already taken down the Mississippi state flag. NASCAR, led by the only black driver in NASCAR, banned the Confederate flag from NASCAR, but also said it would not accept the use of the Mississippi state flag. Then the, the SEC and the NCAA said that no championships would be held in Mississippi as long as that state flag flew. And then God and Mammon joined together the Southern Baptist Convention and Walmart on the same day announced they were opposed to Mississippi continuing to use that flag. Mississippi was caught between those who saw the flag as a symbol of its heritage, even though that heritage was actually the Jim Crow South when it was adopted in 1894. But traditionalists and basically the right and the Republicans versus the left and the Democrats who saw the flag as bearing an offensive symbol that represented for some people, white supremacy. All of these piled on and in a very fraught month for the Mississippi legislature and its uh, governor and lieutenant governor, they worked through many challenges. They saw that polling shifted during that month from a year before uh, something like 55% of Mississippians favored keeping the flag to flipping to something like 55% of Mississippians wanted to change the flag. They also saw polling that showed that 72% would support a new flag if it said, in God we trust on it. The votes kept growing for flag change. They floated the idea of a two flag solution where they would have the old flag and a new flag. That was quickly, quickly branded the separate but equal flag solution, and that killed it. You clearly see that would be a symbol of divisiveness in the state rather than a symbol of unity. There were ideas of should Mississippians vote on the flag? It's actually very uncommon for the public to vote on a flag. It usually is the elected representatives that choose the flag. We only know of a few cases when people did vote on flags. Uh, in Georgia in 2003, 2004, in 2004 there was a flag referendum. In New Zealand there were flag referenda in 2014, 2015. But in Mississippi, there was a flag referendum in 2001. And in that referendum, the citizens in a very low turnout election, something like 23% turned out, it was a two to one margin to keep the flag. It very much split along racial lines. 
Black voters were almost unanimously against the current, current flag. White voters were much more likely to vote for the current flag. But because there was this tradition of flag referendum already existing in Mississippi, many of the leaders in Mississippi said, we need to let the voters choose. And that was a challenge to those who said, we need to change the flag now. The upshot of all of these competing pressures was that the Mississippi legislature and its governor came around to a plan that said, one, the flag comes down now. Two, we will establish a commission to design a new flag. Three, that new flag will be on the ballot in November. Four, that flag will have the words, in God we trust, on it. So that's the plan in Mississippi. I think it shows that flag design, good flag design, needs to understand that it operates in a political framework. One could say that Mississippi passed a law that said its flag could not have a great design. But you could also say that 72% of Mississippians want words on their flag, a specific set of words, and the politicians need to be aware and even honor that in their flag design process. So Mississippi has a commission that has been named. It's had its first meeting. I was delighted to see that the, I think it's the Clarion Register in Jackson, the first image of the flag committee is someone holding good flag, bad flag. (laughs) So they have the basic principles of good flag design uh, before them. They have a big challenge ahead because, as I said, right now, Mississippi has no flag. There is no flag that represents Mississippi. In the U.S. Capitol, very quickly to replace the Mississippi flag on the set of flags that's in a a hallway uh, in the Capitol, they improvised a flag that took the battle flag off of the Mississippi state flag and retained the three stripes and put, drumroll please, the Mississippi state seal in the middle of that flag. Oh, that's it's 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 hard to break that governmental, um, I don't know, feeling there. This that's so funny, Ted, because uh, I've told you my I, I help brands and organizations build community, and one of my my big challenge is getting especially a brand to understand that when they're trying to build a consumer community it's not necessarily best to put their identity on the community that's for people. Interesting. So you're saying, in a sense, the same thing I'm saying. Yes. That the seal belongs to the government and the flag belongs to the people. You're saying the logo belongs to the company. Yeah. But say the user group 
uh, the flag belongs to the user group. Absolutely. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that goes back to, in, in my mind, I went back to the things that uh, years ago when I started helping organizations, especially South Carolina DHEC, Department, Department of Health and Environmental Control, build a community for teens to create what we hoped was a community, a movement for teens talking about the choice whether to smoke or not. We got, we, we got a similar, we, we had to fight a political battle. We brought teens together. And the first time they did it, the adults in the room dictated a name. And it was L-I-F-E, life. The teens hated it. They revolted. So I, I got involved because um, a woman asked me to get involved. We got all of those adults out of the room except for me. And now my wife was actually, then she was just a coworker. Um, and we did, the, we did some naming exercises. They came up with Rage Against the Haze. I went out of the room, told the adults, I said, they've got a name, but I need to know before I tell you the name that you're going to accept it. <laughs> and and um, they didn't want to agree to it. The woman that brought me to the table led that charge. We told them the name. A lot of the state officials hated it because they felt it felt violent. It was against the tobacco industry. Well, yes, we are a little bit. and But they won. The, the kids won. The first shirt that we did, we put the state flag on it really big, and it was the, pal- the Palmetto. But it was like um, crappy material, and it was too big, and we couldn't give that shirt away. And a teen that was one of our leaders said, when somebody sees me walking towards them with a shirt on, I want them to know that it stands for something meaningful to me. And, and so we started working with teenagers to redevelop the shirts in that spirit of that name. And that's where, why I've got that tattooed is that they thought, Dumb Spyro, Spar- Dumb Spyro Sparrow, While I Breathe I Hope, is an interesting motto for a state that had the cheapest cigarettes in the United States, highest smoking rate for teens, and some of the most convoluted smoking laws in the United States. And for teens, it became a rallying cry. So anyway, it's, it's, it, there, there's a lot of commonality. So I'm curious before we get into my last question to wrap up, is there a lesson here in this for where we are as a country with masks? Well, there's two levels of uh, discussion of masks, I think. One is that there's the issue of wear them or not. Does it represent um, independence, manliness? I don't need to wear a mask. A mask, I'm strong. I don't believe this is a big deal. I support, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a COVID denier or, or nobody's going to tell me what to do. All of those things are wrapped up in, in not wearing a mask. And then there's the wearing the mask. I care. I'm part of this community. I want to be respectful of other people. And there's a there's a propaganda challenge here of making masks masculine. Obviously, it's not just male female, but that is a big part of this. I think so. There's that kind of hearts and minds influence question about mask use, which may somehow 
overlap in feelings of community and flags, and I do it because I'm part of the community and such. There's another level of talking about masks, and that is flags used in mask designs. And we're seeing all kinds of great masks Mm -hmm. from the basic one that this mask has my flag on it or the mask has, in the case of a remixable design, this has elements from my flag's design on it or it has multiple designs on it. But I'm starting to see mayors and uh, governors with masks that represent their states. We have a member of the Portland Flag Association named Brittany Vega. She's a fabric artist and she loves flags as tangible materials. And she actually makes fabric art out of flags. She takes flags and tears them apart, makes things out of them. The very first flag mask I saw, this is two and a half months ago, was an Oregon flag mask made from fabric from an Oregon flag. Wow. Not just a mask that showed the flag. This this was made out of out of out of a flag. And I thought that was very compelling. Awesome. Well it, it, as you were talking, it just dawned on me, you know, especially I just got back from Florida. My wife and I are mask wearers. I'm a diabetic, so I'm in a I'm in one of the groups that have to be really careful. And it, it is a very creative expression for some people. I think it is for us. For others, I think it is very utilitarian. But I, I'm I'll be curious to see where we go from here as I believe people are taking it more seriously. And and, and where, we, where we go with that, I'll be curious. Well, I think, I think the fundamental challenge, if you just think epidemiologically, is the mask isn't to protect you. It's to protect others from you. Yeah. That, yes, it somehow reduces a little bit. If somebody coughs nearby you, you're less likely to take in their droplets. But much more important is if you are infected, you're much less likely to infect other people if you're wearing a mask. And so the challenge is to have people wear a mask as a community spirit idea as opposed to a self-defense idea. Great idea. Well, that goes back to your commonness, relatedness. Um, God, there's a lot there. Well, let me add, a, add another thing that I can't remember if you and I talked about it or if I realized it after talking with you. And this is the idea of logos and flags. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and if, I, if we talked about it already, this just becomes a soundbite for you. But I've come to realize that graphic designers often design a logo for a place or an institution And then they think that the way to create a flag is to put the logo on a background on the flag. And that's entirely understandable because that's the way logos usually work. You make a logo and it's it's something you stick on things. However, that's not the way that flags work. If you think about it backwards, 
flags are the logos of places. That if you say, what's the logo of Japan when you're looking at a bicycle race tally of who's who's winning? Or if you look at um, a translation code on an ATM to pick what language you want to talk. The logo for Japan is the Japanese flag. In other words, the flag is a logo. And when you design a flag, you're designing a logo itself. The logo for, a, for an institution is different from the flag of the institution. So uh, flag design is not logo design, but flag design is actually the designing of a logo. Uh, yeah, uh, you're so right. Uh, yeah, you and I, we had that prep talk and I was mentioning Tom Shoes and you know, I, I hope to get Blake on here, and it's one of the few what I call um, flag brands. You know, they uh, it, it fits on a shoe. It, it's instantly recognizable. I know you mentioned Argentina, so I've got to ask him about that a little bit with his amazing race ethos and how that came about. I love how you said that. The flag is the logo, and I think I, I know there will be some graphic designers that are they're in kind of my pot of of kindred spirits here that I hope listen to this because there is a lot of just sage advice that you've given for design, especially when it comes to, I think things that don't, that live beyond, like you said, the printed piece of paper in a seal or a logo. Um, today, I think designers have to take into account what I would consider how a logo lives, how it, lives and breathes and walks with people, much like like a flag has to fly and how it moves in the wind. How does it move with people? Well, I, just, 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 just playing on that, uh, I think that we sometimes place too much emphasis on symbolism in flags. We place too much emphasis on saying this has to absolutely represent our values and our history and what we think is important and so on. It's just a tag. It's just something, it's just a logo for a place. And when we try to put too much into the flag, we tend to clutter it up with too much stuff. Salt Lake City has as one of its eight finalists a world-class design, world-class. They're never going to choose it because the people just won't see enough in it. Hmm. But imagine this, a horizontal buy bar of white over blue. That's it. Salt Lake. Love it. I guess. White for salt, blue for lake. You get it. It's automatic. It's also the mountains over the lake. It's a, it's a landscape. It's a little bit like Ukraine's flag, in fact. But Salt Lake, two stripes only. That flag would be everywhere. It would be like Chicago. It would, it, it would be tremendous. 
But it's really hard to get people to the point of understanding that they don't have to put something on that flag. This is a great place to stop for this episode. On the next episode of Talking Flags with Ted, we're going to dive into the black flag of pirates, the Jolly Roger. And we're going to ramble a bit as we hit some other interesting topics. If you're enjoying the shared ship, I'd love it if you'd give the podcast a review and a rating. I'd also love to hear from you. You can reach me at gino at shipcom So our quote for this episode comes from my childhood favorite book, We Must Go On Because We Can't Turn Back. Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island. Until next time, be safe, be bold, be adventurous, be courageous, and don't be afraid to fly your free flag. This is your captain and pirate, Gino Church.